been in this like caregiving mode of the very sick children while trying to like not be so compassionate that I sacrifice my health, you know, so it's like the distance and Kyra is uh, very affectionate, so you know we. She just looks at me with this look of like, "You're not gonna hug me. You're not gonna kiss me." You know, it's like breaking her heart. But I'm like, "Honey, I have to be well to take care of you." You know, this kills me. But uh, you know, it's like the whole week. It's like I'm still alive, but I'm barely breathing. Kind of thing happening. You know, like just keep it going. You know, lack of sleep and then daylight savings hits and. My kids have always gone the opposite of what you're supposed to do for daylight savings. Like this morning, my kids never wake up before 7.30. This morning, Nora wakes up at 6.30, which is actually 5.30. Wide awake, ready to go. I mean, just totally the, the far, far opposite. So anyway, all that to say, here we are and uh, back in John. And we're going to take a look at it. Uh, there's some really good stuff in here, really good things to ponder over, and I got to throw in one of my favorite New Testament passages in there, got to slip it in, so pretty excited about that. You can look at your handout, and you will find the Gospel reading, John 18, 28 through 40. We're just continuing on from last week. It says... They took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to, and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and he said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death that he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my, follower, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. 
the word of the Lord. So last week, Caleb talked about the, um, the back and forth between Peter and Jesus, the, the I am versus the I am not, and then the back and forth between Jesus on the inside and Peter on the outside. And today the story continues, and it continues with this kind of back and forth, inside-outside rhythm taking place. Um, only instead it's Pilate that's kind of moving back and forth between Jesus on the inside and the crowd on the outside. And the Jews in the crowd obviously want Jesus dead, but their laws will not allow them to do this. Uh, they don't allow them to, to um, I don't know, inflict execution. Uh, so they essentially then choose to kind of outsource this to Rome. But there's one thing that the Jews are more afraid of than Jesus. They are afraid of being unclean. Um, this is the day before the Passover is to happen. And for them to enter into the house of Pilate because of the laws that they follow, um, it would cause them to be unclean and then they could not partake in the Passover. They actually would have to wait like 30 days to, to participate in the Passover. Um, and so because of that, and because of that importance to them, they remain outside. And it's this like tragic and depressing irony that they're so committed to celebrating Passover and eating the Passover lamb, and yet what they are doing right here is actually fulfilling the significance of the Passover. They don't even realize that they're demanding the death of the Lamb of God. Uh, at the same time that they're trying to like remain clean and pure so that they can partake in eating the Passover lamb. So there they are in the crowd. Here we are in the crowd. Incredibly relatable. Standing there trying so hard, wanting so bad to be clean while also yelling, crucify him. They're wanting to receive the mercy, right, of like death passing over, like we remember in the Passover, but they are also demanding uh, death. They're so concerned with the law that they miss the one who came to fulfill the law. So back inside, uh, Pilate and Jesus are having this conversation centered around kings and kingdoms. This is like a thing in the book of John. Like this conversation is really significant. And what Jesus says is, is awesome. He says, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So basically, if, if my kingdom was about the world and we functioned in the way the world functions, we did things the way that, you know, you guys do things here, then, like, it'd be going down for real, you know? Like, they'd be showing up with their guns and swords and violence and fight and ready to take over in power. Like, that would be happening, but my kingdom doesn't function that way. Jesus isn't going to bring the kingdom with violence. He's not going to gather disciples with violence. He's not going to defend himself with violence. Which is hard for us to jive with because, like, that's kind of our culture. And, and not just ours, but kind of the 
culture of the world, not just now, but even then, is that if we, um, if we encounter violence, we resolve it with violence, right? If, we, if a force is coming upon us, we respond with force. And power is always obtained through force. We think that we can overcome darkness with death. There's a uh, quote, I'm sure you guys have heard from Martin Luther King, but it's just so good and so applicable. He says, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing that it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. So it goes. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding a deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And this is the radical thing. This whole passage, you know, if it, if it boils down to something, uh, the whole passion narrative even, is that Jesus establishes justice through mercy. And if we sit with it, it really is radical and really hard to reconcile how that works. You know, because we're functioning with like our understanding of the world from our limited perspective. You know, how is it that we can see justice through mercy. You know, I think of all the injustices that I encounter just week to week. You know, just 30 seconds on Facebook or 10 seconds watching the news or five seconds talking to a college student. You know, it's like we are so saturated in our awareness of, of social injustice. How is it that, that that justice can be established through mercy? So at the climax of, of the conversation between Pilate and Jesus' um, interaction there, Jesus says that the reason that he came, right, not to heal the sick, not to feed the hungry, he did all those things, but the reason that he came was to testify to truth. And he says that everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate responds with like the most relatable thing that he possibly could have said. What is truth? Alternative facts have always been a thing. I don't know. You guys had some really deep conversations about what alternative facts are. So, uh, you know, I maybe didn't think about that quite as deeply. But... We're bombarded with so much, so much information from so many people, you know, we can't receive anything without like giving it the stink eye and, and checking its sources, you know, like we just can't trust anything. There's so many voices. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is John 10, and, uh, and it talks about, before you read it, you have to kind of be able to visualize it, okay, it talks about the good shepherd, and calling out the flock. And the way that this sets up is that 
sheep were kept in this really large pen. And there, were, there was a big herd, but within the herd there were multiple flocks. And so um, the shepherd would come to this larger pen of sheep and would have this like, you know, really funny noise or sound or something that the shepherd would make. And only the sheep from his flock would separate out from the greater group and come and follow him out the gate. It was kind of a, a funny thing because the other sheep would pay no attention at all because it wasn't the right sound, you know, it wasn't the right person, it wasn't the right voice. Um, so with that understanding, here's what it says. This is Jesus talking. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling him. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who enter came before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. <coughs> I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. So uh, when I was in like seventh grade, uh, I had this friend, her name's Lissy. Actually, that's not her name, but that was her nickname at the time. But we were like best friends. And um, like maybe some seventh grade girls, we really liked going to the mall. And uh, our favorite store was limited to, and we would go, and you know, it's like the best place ever <laughs> at the time, so we could spend forever in there. But I remember, I remember a, a distinct time this happened, but I think it happened more than once. My dad would take us to the mall. And my dad is very, um, you know, if you're a Myers-Briggs fan, he's very J. I'm very, very P. And so he's like, okay, you know, you've got 10 minutes, and I'm going to wait here at the front of the store because, you know, when you're 7th grade, middle school girl, like, dad in limited two with you is just not cool. And so he's like, I'm waiting at the entrance, you've got 10 minutes, and you've got to be back here. And this is my dad. He's like, where's your watch? Let me see your watch. You know, back then, it was right here. And he's like, okay, and I'm like, okay, Dad, okay, I know, you know. And so we go in the store, and we're like, and I'm a P, so I'm perceiving this. I'm like, what it feels like it's been about 10 minutes, that's probably how long it's been. My dad's out there, and he's probably like 
feeling it out and when he feels like it's been about 10 minutes, you know, he'll look for me and I will be in sync with him feeling the same thing like, oh, it's probably been about 10 minutes and I'll see him and we'll, you know, join and go. And that's just how the world works, you know, but my dad is like literally watching the, the minutes click on his watch. Um, so we get, we're in like deep in the store now because you start at the front, you know, you kind of work your way. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just like doing my thing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I hear the booming voice of my father, and he is trying to embarrass me. And he's cupping his hands around his mouth like this. And he is putting on his best, like, announcer voice as loud as he reasonably can, saying, Attention, Chelsea and Lucy, your father is waiting for you at the entrance of the store. Please proceed to the entrance of the store now. You know, he waits 10 seconds. Attention, Chelsea and Lucy. You know, and I'm just like, like, the color washes from my face. And I look at Lucy and she looks at me and we're like, how are we going to survive this? Like, total humiliation. You know, and I didn't even have to see him. Like, I knew it, obviously. He's saying my name. But, you know, like, you, you hear your dad talking and immediately you're just like, oh, my word. You know, knowing his voice. And there's a million examples of this. I was thinking about having kids and how, like, you know, your kid cries and you're like, yep, that's my kid. You know, <laughs> like, something bad has happened or... Um, all the different scenarios where someone walks up behind you and says something and you're like, oh, that's, you know, that's so-and-so, because you just, you just know their voice. There's definitely a message in all of this about the kingdom of heaven, right, and the way that it's like at odds with our kingdoms, our, our governments. And there's definitely a message here about the path of violence versus the path of mercy. But wrapping up, the thing that I just can't get over in this part of the story is Barabbas. And this group of people, this crowd that's standing there, and they're just so afraid. They're just writhing in fear. They're afraid of being unclean. They're afraid of blood on their hands. They're afraid of losing power. They're afraid of being wrong. They're afraid of losing control. They're afraid of the unknown. They're afraid of not having answers. And they're afraid of the truth. And the translation that, that I read here of the story of the sheep uses the term uh, robber. And some of the translations of John 10 use the same word. So it's the same word, but, but I don't want to miss the connection because uh, it's bandit. It's the same thing. And so what we see here, you know, we also see in the Passion narrative, the bandit comes to kill and to steal and to destroy, and the truth comes to bring life. And if that's true then why in the world would we ever choose the bandit? You know, why would we ever choose the bandit over truth? When Kevin and I first moved to Nashville, there was this process where he was trying to find a job, and it took him applying to Trebekah for three different positions before he even got an interview. 
And I remember just being shocked. Like, like, why in the world can you, you, Kevin, not get an interview? Like, aside from the fact that every job you do, you do perfectly. You know, like, aside from that, aside from the fact that, you know, he's incredibly reliable and has a great resume and well-presented, you know, like, the guy freaking loves Trebekah. You know, freaking loves college students. Like, they, they just don't know him. You know, this is the only reason that I can come up with why they would not see his resume and say, oh my word, get this guy in here. You know, we got to interview him. They just don't know him. Do we choose Barabbas because we really want Barabbas? Or because we really just don't know the truth? We really don't know the voice of the shepherd. And you can, you can take this whatever direction this resonates in your heart of, of what, what Barabbas is for you in your life, what Barabbas is for me in my life. It could be comfort and conformity over the kingdom of heaven. It could be looking towards our logic and reasoning and resolving the problems of the world and seeking justice instead of looking at Christ. It could be just living to meet our needs instead of the needs of others. Barabbas could be resentment over forgiveness. It could be wealth over generosity or hate over love. Um, I found this interesting. In John, there's the word truth is mentioned two to three times in all the other Gospels, but it's mentioned 25 times in John. And he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So let's pray together. <coughs> God, our shepherd, who calls us to witness to the one who demonstrated power through weakness, who manifested strength through vulnerability, who established justice through mercy, who built the kingdom of God by embracing a confused and chaotic and violent world taking its pain on his own body, dying the death it sought, and rising again to remind us that light is stronger than darkness, and love is stronger than hate. May we know your voice. May we be set free by the truth. Thanks be to God for this message, as the world has never needed it more. And thanks be to all who proclaim the radical gospel of Christ, the king so different than the world's kings, and the one who testifies to the truth and calls us to do the same. Amen.